Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Episode 156 is on the docket for you today. As you can see, it's part two of our conversation with the Bagman, Mike Bagley. Hope you guys enjoyed part one of the conversation and boy, oh boy, do we have a show for you because part two is just as good, if not better. Dived into a lot of different things with Mike, his time with SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, where we have now kind of developed a professional working relationship on TMD. Losing his then co-host, David Poole, how he moved forward from that it was a really tragic circumstance and time period for him. How did he pick up the pieces? How did he move forward? How did the channel and the show move forward? They did so with Pistol Pete Pistoni. Chat about how he came into the fold with TMD. And also, what does Mike want to do after he hangs up the microphone in the broadcasting side of things? I think his answer may surprise you. But if you listen to part one, maybe the answer will not catch you off guard. Stay tuned and you'll find out. We also are going to talk a little bit about New Hampshire Motor Speedway. But before we do any of that, we got to pay homage to somebody that I, frankly, have never heard of. But... That's why I give Papa Siegel the reins with this week's Wayback segment. Take it away with number 56, Dad. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 156. Today, we venture beyond NASCAR to pay respect to a great racer you may not have known about. Okay, first things first. I know who Davey wants and expects me to talk about today. Out of number 56's 291 total starts, 144 of those, and one of its two wins, were for Martin Truex Jr. MTJ is worthy of our attention and discussion, but not today. This is the Way Back segment, and Truex is still getting it done. Fear not, we'll be sure to focus our Way Back lens on him when he calls it quits, which has been a topic of discussion lately. But today... We remember the man who had 14 NASCAR starts in the 56 and its other win. That man was USAC great Jim Herdebees. Who's that, you ask? Pay attention, dude. You may learn something. Herdebees ran in the Indy 500 10 times during the 60s and the early 70s. However, he's probably more well-known for the Indy 500s he failed to qualify for. More on that in a minute. Herc, as he was called, was a talented hard charger, and he was tough. In 1964, he suffered serious burns in an accident at the Milwaukee Mile. Before surgery, the doctors asked him how he wanted his hands shaped permanently. Herc's response, just make him so I can hold a steering wheel. Yeah, buddy. Herdebees raced during a transition period for Indy cars, when front-engine machines gave way to rear-engine cars, as they are today. 
1968, Herdebees ran the last front-engine car to race in the Indy 500. He nicknamed it the Mallard, and he would stubbornly continue to try, unsuccessfully, to put the car into the 500 for another 13 years, sort of a racing Don Quixote. But Herc also had a sense of humor about his obsession. In 1972, he qualified 13th for Indy in a rear engine car for A.J. Foyt, sponsored by Miller Beer. However, on bump day, that was Indy's old way of filling the 33-car field with the fastest cars, Herdebees rolled out a front-engine Mallard just before closing time. As time expired, and before his car reached the front of the qualifying line, Herdebees removed the engine cover to reveal five chilled cases of his sponsor's product, which he proceeded to share with the pit crews and race officials. Jim Herdebees was inducted into the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame in 1993. That's all for this week. Hey, Duve, who you got in this year's Tour de France? Thank you, Dad. Well, I um, do not know any cyclists that are competing in this year's Tour de France. I know Lance Armstrong, who is not competing anymore, obviously. I know Floyd Landis, who is not competing anymore, obviously. And I think that's the list. So I'm going to go ahead and plead the fifth, but I'm going to say whoever has the yellow jersey at the end of the Tour de France is probably going to be your winner. Just a hunch. And also, don't forget about the polka dot jersey. Maybe he'll dig in deep into his suitcase of courage to get that one this week with the stages. Hope you like that, Father. We talk about NASCAR here, though, not cycling. Cycling has its place. It has its community. It's just not here. So let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... And throw it straight over to part two of two with Mike Bagley. Again, a really interesting perspective in this specific chat with Mike. Last week, we dove a little bit into his background in the sport, how he got interested in radio in the first place, his work with MRN, etc., etc. We dive more into that this week, but kind of get into the meat and potatoes and the nitty-gritty about his day-to-day, what he does as a host of The Morning Drive, what his daily routine looks like, how SiriusXM came into the picture overall in his life and how that has impacted and shaped his professional life when it comes to being a broadcaster. And again, there's a lot of things that Mike has accomplished away from the racetrack, but a lot that he still wants to accomplish and explore away from the racetrack. And it's giving back to the next generation and the community at large. I found that really interesting and I'm excited for you guys to hear his perspective on that. So I will get out of the way and let you guys hear part two of our wonderful, scintillatingly sensational chat with MRN and SiriusXM's Mike Bagley. So odds are those listening, if they don't know you from your work at MRN, they may know you from your work at SiriusXM. That's obviously how we have developed a bit of a a better, better relationship together working on TMD. When did that come into the picture for you? Theoretically, you had been working MRN for a handful of years and then SiriusXM came into the picture, but can you paint the timeline for us and when that kind of all happened for you? 2008 is when that happened. 2008, uh, I had actually moved to Daytona. I was the coordinating producer for the network and then I was also on air doing the races at the same time. And then I believe it was... um, 
MRM was approached by SiriusXM. Hey, you know, would it, you know, we'd like to talk to Mike about maybe, you know, hosting a show. Davey, I'd never hosted a show before in my life. I had, again, it was almost like MRN, but on, on SiriusXM, I'd never done it before. I had no idea what I was doing. I listened to talk radio. I had no idea what was happening. Marty Snyder at the time, who was on NBC, and David Poole were the co-host of TMD. And Marty had a lot of business interest outside. He, he had to step aside off the show where they were looking for replacement co-hosts. And I happened to be one of those co-hosts. It then came to a point to where Marty was going to step away full time. And they offered me the co-hosting role with David to do TMD. That was back in 2008. And I've done it ever since. So it was, it was you know, you can almost say, you know, Daniel Norwood taking, taking a, you know, a, a, a chance with me. Uh, MRN allowing me to do that and then learning that over the years has uh, taken my broadcasting career to a different dimension this time on satellite radio as opposed to just terrestrial and satellite that we were doing as far as race broadcasters so you talked about getting comfortable in the turns working with some legends like Barney and Eli and Alan and you had never hosted anything before you went on TMD so how long did it take you to get comfortable in that role I feel like that must have been even harder it took it, it took a little bit of time. I never really interviewed people. I would go into the garage to get what, what's called drop-ins, right? That we used to use, and we used to send affiliates at MRN driver clips and pro and promo sheets for them to play on their local sports and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would go in, but I was one of those. Hey, can you talk about Martinsville? You know, it's like one of those. You know, here comes this little goober kid with this little microphone, talk trying to talk to Daryl Walter about yes. Martinsville. You know, before things had descended. Yes. Uh, well, then there was that. <laughs> Um, I had never interviewed somebody on, on a talk show. I didn't know the formatics of, you know, working a clock, working, you know, understanding time, understanding, you know, accelerate a conversation here, perhaps maybe dragging the conversation a little further. Otherwise that's right. Um, especially when you're back signing into the top of the hour, I never done that either. Um, and it, it took me a while, but that's where I listened to a lot of talk radio. And when I say, you know, I listened to a lot of talk radio, I listened to Rush Limbaugh. I listened to Michael Smirconish. I listened to Dan Patrick. I listened to Larry King. I listened to all this diverse, like, talk radio and how to do it and trying to understand what they were doing. The one that I latched onto the most is Dan Patrick. Number one, beast as far as replays and, or not replays, but um, highlights. Yeah one of the best to ever do highlights. And then um, I'm like, oh, he's got a radio show. Let me start checking in with that and kind of listening to that. And I like the flow and how he was like, you know, fast paced moving. And and that's what I like. Well, you know, you work on TMB. I don't like slow rejoin music. It slows the show down. Upbeat music. Let's keep going. We're getting going in the morning. Let's go. Stand it up. And, 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 and all that. So it took me a long time to learn that. But as I was learning that, my co-host passed away. And that was a milestone for me at SiriusXM and that show. I'm still trying to get to know him, David, and I'm trying to understand the role as a host. And I'm trying to also manage on air for MRN. And then David passes away. And that, that sent TMD in a totally different direction. So how'd you move forward? Well, we did... We raced at Talladega. David despised Talladega. He was one of those who wanted to bulldoze the banking. I'm like, David, stop. 
and he and I, he and I would get into it. And that was after I believe Carl Edwards and Keselowski crashed in the yes. trial. I think that was the one. Um, and then he was, he was ticked, but after the facts, we found out that he was having some, he wasn't feeling the best in the world leading into that. I was at the track with him that weekend. Uh, we did our show and this was when I lived in Atlanta. So I drove back from Talladega that night. We did our show the next day and it was a rough show. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, when you, when we say on the chip, that means you're, you're maxing out the RPMs. He was matted. I mean, he was bending the needle. He was so, so ticked off. I was pissed off that day. Bad show. I'm like, you know what? Let me just get out of here. I was working from home. I said, let me go have some lunch. So I go and I have some lunch and I get a call from a NASCAR official, NASCAR executive. Man. Hey, what about your boy? What are you talking about? Pool. I don't understand. What you talking about? And I thought there were, you know, this individual was calling to be like, you know, oh, I didn't like what he said or whatever. He's like, uh, he's just died. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, make some calls. I'll talk to you later. I called Jim Utter. Couldn't get a hold of Jim. Tried to call Katie, which was David's wife. Couldn't get a hold of her. I called Utter back again. I then called Tyler and PK, who are, were our producers and, and producer and AP at the time. Couldn't get a hold of them. Finally got a hold of Utter and Utter confirmed it. And I'm like, oh my God, what? What? And I, of course, you're, you're in shock. I just talked to this man on the radio. He died 11 minutes after he got off the air. He seized up, had a heart attack, and he died in his office after he got off the air that day. Man. Then that set us into, I, I didn't want to go on the air the next day. And I don't, I won't say they made me. I got a call from Steve Cohen, who's like the big boss at Sirius XM Sports, who was very gentle. He was very gracious. And, and the way he positioned it, He's a genius. I love him, man. He's like, you know, he says, I know you're breathing. And I know that, you know, being on the air is the last place for that you want to be. He says, but you also have a lot of listeners out there who are in the same boat that are looking to you for some, for some consolation as well. Good point. I went on the air that afternoon with Moody and we talked about it there and I got all torn out the shores. And then the next day, I mean, I broke down several times on the air the next day when we announced that David had passed and we had a show where we memorialized David. And that, that was probably the most exhausting show and draining show I've ever done in my entire life. Um, and then that set us into um, guest co-hosts. And I worked what felt like everybody that had ever been to a NASCAR race ever in the history of the sport. I mean, you'd work with a couple, you know, you were, you work with a guy here a couple of days and then a new person, then a new person, then a new person, then a new person, new person. And we never even talked about filling that role. It was never discussed for weeks. And then we started to come around and we're like, you know, kind of need to figure out what we're doing here. We need to get our arms around this. And so it hit me one day when I, I was leaving Pocono and this was in the July Pocono race, if I'm not mistaken, it hit me who I wanted to work with, who I wanted to replace David. So I picked up the phone and as I was leaving Pocono Raceway and I was, I was getting on 476 to go to the Philly airport to fly back home, I called Daniel Norwood and I said, I know who I want to work with on TMD. He's like, oh, really? Who's that? I said, I really like working with Pete Pistone. I think that Pete and I could really do something special. And he says, um, okay. 
we have some things to undo. Well, come to find out, they had made their mind up who they wanted to be the new co-host was. Yep. I didn't know, but Buddy Baker was supposed to be the new co-host of TMD. Get that white out. And they undid that. They put Buddy on at nights, and then Pete came on with me during the day. And that's been, I want to say, 13, 14 years ago. We've been working together. Mm-hmm. But he was one of the replacement co-hosts uh, while we were trying to figure out what we're doing and get ourselves sorted out. But of all the people that I worked with, I had a lot of chemistry with Pete, his sense of humor sure. and all that. And, and he is the one that I clicked with the quickest and I clicked with the best. Not saying I didn't of, of any others, but he and I had a lot of similarities about our sense of humor and our personalities that seemed to mesh better. And that's when I was like, Pete's the one. And that's how actually Pete became the co-host of TMD. Right. And, you know, I had him on the show and I brought up a line that you actually had when you were on Nate Ryan's podcast a few years ago, which is, you know, your guys' goal on TMD is to inform, educate, and entertain. And if you guys can do that every single morning, you're doing your jobs and that's mission accomplished. And I would assume that's still, what is it, 12, 14 years later, whatever it is, that still is the goal and that still is being accomplished. I can attest to it every morning. And it seems like you and Pete are able to just strike that balance between being fun, being jovial, giving each other some shit every now and then. But then also, you know, coming on, facing the facts, facing the music, and also giving people the information that they seek from you guys. So it seems like that still is kind of a foundational aspect of your guys' partnership and the show every single day for four hours. It, it is. It drives some people crazy. Some people hate it. Like the first segment that we do of the show, we always talk about what we did the night before, except for Mondays. Mondays, we get right to it, right? We get right to the recap and, and, and talk about the race that just happened the day before or the couple of days before. But but that first segment that we do, you know, we welcome everybody in and, you know, we just talk about normal stuff. It's like, listen, we're normal people just like everybody else is. Yep. We had the same jacked up stuff happen to us that happens to everybody else. The only difference with us is that we have a microphone and y'all don't, or those folks don't, right? So we share our life experiences. Now, there are, we don't share everything, but we share a lot. And it's through that that I think that we have created a bond with our listeners. 100%. So at the same time, though, there's a time to be funny. There's a time to crack wise, but there's a time to be serious and to be able to recognize when those times are. There are times where I, I still struggle with that. It's like, you know, I want to get to it, get to it, get to it. Well, take a breath, big boy. You know, sit, let's sit back and smell the roses here. It's like, you know, we will be in the middle of a serious conversation and then to break the mood, you know, it'll be like, uh, you know, Pete will have a say dad something. joke that he whips out. Pete will whip out a dad joke or, um, you know, you know, he'll say, well, you know what? I mean, they're doing the best they can, but it's not like they're sitting back in the garage eating cashews. Uh, and I'll come back with something. By the way, where would you put the cashew on the Mount Rushmore nuts? You know, Number or something like me, that. Actually, by the way. Two bread. Oh, cashews solid, without question. Yes. Sometimes we snap into something to lighten the mood. Right. And to kind of like reset everything. And then there are times where it's like, all right, listen, you're okay. What's a seven post shake in the middle of an interview? I've done this at times, but okay. For those newbies out here that have no idea what you're talking about, what is a seven post shaker and what does it do? So you're trying to, you're always trying to shoot that gap, right? You got the legacy fan over here, you got the newbie over here, and then you got the people in, in the middle that can go either way. Well, there are a lot of times where we have new people that have gotten into rental cars on Sirius XM. Like they have, and we have a free preview period, right? 
oh my gosh, NASCAR is on, they serious as a NASCAR channel? Well, you want to kind of make sure that you're not talking over everybody's head, but you're not talking down to them Tough either. Balance. That's, that's, I think that balance is with everybody in this now more than ever, because we're getting a lot of new people that are coming, coming in. So being able to strike that balance, but also at the same time, laugh at ourselves, laugh at a situation, but also try to, to put something on the air that I would want to listen to. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I want to laugh in the morning. I, I have a rule for me. We don't go on the air until seven o'clock. We connect in at 630. So I got me connecting in from Delaware. I got Pete connecting in from Chicago. And then I've got you, Sammy, whoever's in D.C. We're all coming into D.C. We all get together with technology as far as this is concerned. But we also connect in with cameras. There used to be a time, I don't know if you know this, but we didn't have cameras when yeah. we did talk shows. We, it was just like you wait for the guy to stop talking. You're walking all over each other's mess. Our first camera thing was Uvu. And Uvu was a mess. Uvu was uh-oh. And then now, I never knew that there was even a thing such as Zoom until the pandemic hit. No We're on is. Zoom now. We used to do um, all kinds of stuff. But but a- anyway, so be able to see ourselves, make it more cohesive where we're not walking over each other. Yeah. But also at the same time, it's like, you know, it's like a top 40 morning show. Laugh, play bits. When you're on your way to work, in my opinion, this is me. I can't speak for everybody. I agree with you. But if I'm, but if I'm getting out of bed and I'm in the car, I'm sitting in traffic, I'm just not in a very good mood. I've got to go into work. Well, let's make somebody laugh, right? Sure. I don't want to start my day off on a bad note. I get up at four o'clock every morning to allow the pipes to clean out and get cleared up. The last thing that I hate is hearing a guy come on morning radio and he sounds like he just rolled out of the rack, right? So get the pipes all tightened up, get everything ready, prepare yourself, figure out what we're going to talk about, what we're going to do, what kind of fun exercises can we do, but then have fun. Send these people into work with a smile on their face. They've just heard something. The best compliment we've ever get. I just heard this and spit my coffee out on my windshield. Thanks. Now I got to detail the car. Or you guys <laughs> had me laughing so hard I had to pull over, couldn't drive. That to me, I love hearing that because that means it's a lighthearted moment. You're having fun and it's a great way to start the day. I don't want to start my day like I'm going, you know, to the gulag, right? right. I'm not, I don't want to go, you know, in, into solitary confinement or going to this lockdown, I'm this brown and all this. Oh, Man, I want to laugh. I want to just get my day off to the right start. So that's what we also try to provide through what you just said of, of, of what to me uh, our pillars are inform, educate, and entertain. So you talk about striking that balance, right? Between having the informative aspect of things and then the entertainment aspect of things. You know, as somebody who went to college, got a journalism degree, was taught the way to do things journalistically, and then coming over into the sport, now working in it full time, reporting on it, stuff like that. I have realized that potentially the hardest thing for me, at least, and I know I'm still young, I'm still trying to kind of work my way through it, is striking that balance between calling it like it is and being a partner of the sanctioning body. Sirius XM NASCAR Radio is a partner of the league. Same thing with NFL Radio, NBA, all these different things, right? You yourself, you've worked in the sport for decades. You have all these relationships with industry stakeholders, drivers, teams. Sometimes you got to call them out. And it's really awkward and it's hard, but that's your job. And you have to do that sometimes. How do you strike that balance between being fair, being critical, being complimentary, and making sure that those things are being done the correct way? 
it's funny you bring this up because it came up, I want to say earlier today on TMV when, when we, when we did today's show, um, for some people, we live in a world and a society now that unless you're ripping something apart, you're tearing into someone that you're not doing your job. Got to have a hot take. Got to have a hot take. That's BS. And that's a hot take. Here's why. And I learned this from Jeff Burton. Jeff Burton can say something and it sound matter of fact. It has potency. His words do it. His message does. He's just said something like Mr. Hotshot who wants to rip somebody and, and you know, rah, 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 rah. well, it's all about how you deliver it. But the main tenet that I have is be fair. Be fair in the situation. First of all, what is there to be gained by just opening this microphone and just going on a tirade and a tangent about someone or something? What are you trying to do? Like at the end of the day, we're having a conversation. You may not like something. Okay, well, what is it that you don't like? I'm always an objective-based thinker, right? If we're going to change the playoffs, if we're going to change this, if we're going to do that, well, what are we trying to accomplish at the end of the day? At the end of that conversation, what are we trying to achieve? Well, we want this. Okay, so we want this, whatever this is. Well, how do we go about doing it? And, and what steps do we go through to do it? I've never been one to cut somebody off at the knees to build myself up or build someone else up. Sure. If we have a challenge, okay, what is it? like 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 let's focus on it. Well, what what's the best course of action? You know, like what are our options available to us? I've never gotten into you know, I'm never going to be that guy that's going to open up this microphone and just light into somebody and just and just totally ream their ass. I I'm, I'm just that that's not me. I think that there's there's a more diplomatic way to do it. And I learned those ways from Jeff Burton. I will give you an example where I had to get very direct in, in a question, but I asked a question that I thought was very pertinent to the situation. So if you remember years ago in the truck series, Kyle Busch dumping Hornaday at Texas, just driving through him, just pounding mm -hmm. him into the fence, right? So we dealt with that aftermath and, and we, we dealt all that went with that. And it came a time to where when we went back to Rockingham, Hornaday did the, basically the same thing to Bubba Wallace at, at uh, yeah, it was Rockingham. And where it was, where the, where the situation was compounded is I was, and still am, personal friends with Ron. And, and, and that friendship began when I first started in the truck series back in 96. And I had gotten to know him his his family, his wife. I mean, I've I've, I've been in their motorhome. We've yeah. gone out to dinner, right? Close relationship. But I also learned through Barney and, and Eli and 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 Alan and those that you can have that personal relationship, but you also have to exercise discretion and you also have to exercise fairness to the situation. Ron came on the next day. I texted Ron to ask him if he wanted to come on. I did not tell him or ask or tell him what I was going to ask him, like, would you like to come on and address what happened at Rockingham? And he said, yes. Comes on the air and 
we've never talked about it. You know, some folks will think that, you know, hey, you know, maybe I'll get off easy if it's this one because I'm friends with this one or whatever like that. But I I did a lot of thinking about that. And and I opened up the interview and I said, you know, I can't remember, you know, you got into Bubba and and had a had a had a situation to where you wrecked Bubba under the caution flag. And I said, Ron, we lived this already when Kyle did this to you at Texas. What is the difference between what Kyle did to you at Texas and what you did to Bubba yesterday at Rockingham? Tough, but fair. And that's the thing. That's a fair question. That's a question that a lot of people had. Well, he had it done to him. Why is it okay for him to do it to somebody else? And, and, and he answered the question honestly. We never talked about it after that interview. Like, man, that was a really hard question. It never came up. And, and I, I could also tell that Ron was ready to atone for that sin sure. at Rockingham. But sometimes you have to ask very direct questions and, and you have to ask hard questions. But I also think that it's how you ask them. Um, don't make it accusatory. Just, just you know, give the wind up, but also ask a question. Don't make a statement. Talk to me about and all this stuff. You and I, you know, that's, that's one of those broadcaster, you know, nailed down the blackboard things. But ask the question. But it all comes back to being fair. Just be fair with the question that you ask or be, be fair to the situation. You can't control if somebody gets upset or somebody reacts a certain way. What I can control is that I'm fair with the question and I'm not being any other sort of way to that individual that I'm interviewing. And to me, if if what you do is engaged in fairness, it's okay to criticize the sanctioning body if you do it constructively and you do it fairly. Absolutely. If you open up the microphone, I don't know what they were thinking, this stage racing or and just go on these tirades, you're not accomplishing anything. To me, you're, that's not being constructive. I'm all about constructive dialogue. And when you just open up a microphone and rip somebody, that is anything far from being anything but being constructive. Right. And if it's, you know, the Hornaday situation, right? In a perfect world, if it's him, if it's Steve O'Donnell, if it's Steve Phelps, if it's whoever, you know, in a perfect world, they understand that you have a job to do. Even if you have mm-hmm. a relationship with them on a friendship level, whatever it is, professionally, they understand that their job and your job intersect. And sometimes they intersect in positive ways and you have them on after a win. Sometimes they intersect in a bit of a negative way and you have to address an elephant in the room, even though you are friends. So in that situation, you know, I think that that's a perfect example of you're friends with this person. They had a mistake you're not going to have them on to essentially just pat them on the back and say, it's okay. We're we're on your side. You know, like you got to do your job. And in a perfect world, again, they realize that now I understand the world's not perfect. So there's some times where that can go the other way. And I'm sure it has for other people out there. I don't know if it has for you, but most of the time, the relationships, it seems like that you have cultivated over the course of your career, as it relates to that Ron Hornaday story, they understand you have a job to do. And that job Although it intersects with your friendship and your relationship, that doesn't change how you approach that interview. You know what I mean? I had an interview with Dale Earnhardt one time that I literally thought I was going to throw up. Go back to the Darlington race where he blacked out. Remember that one? Uh, race no, starts at Darlington. About it, yeah. The race starts at Darlington. Next thing you know, he is just bouncing off the wall. We thought something was wrong with the car. Like, what is going on with the car? Well, come to find out, he blacked out the car. And Mike Dillon got pulled in 
to pull, they, yeah. they pulled Dale out of the car and they put Mike in to finish the race. Well, Mike was in the middle of the infield having a good old time, but he had to quickly suit up, get in the car. They took Dale out of the car. Well, the next weekend we were at Richmond. I was in the pits at Richmond and that was early on in my broadcasting career. And in the production meeting, you know, we want to hear from Dale, right? After what happened last weekend and all this stuff. So I'm like, now I was intimidated at that time by the intimidator. That was before he and I had a chance to, to meet and establish a relationship. So here comes this new guy, a guy he doesn't know. He's got the MRN mic, he's got the MRN shirt. And I'm, 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 I'm racking my brain to figure out how I can ask him this question without him getting upset. Good luck. Well, we're, we're walking out to the grid after driver intros and, and, you know, we're about to go to a break and on the other side of the break, I have it. And, you know, he has that, that Dale senior gait that he had the way he walked, you know, he's got that little strut. He's got the gargoyles going, the mustache is going, you know, Mr. Cool. He looked over, he says, you ain't going to ask me about Darlington, are you? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. I, I, I have to. He's like, no, you don't. Don't you ask me about that stuff. Walked a little more. And now internally, I am having a meltdown. I'd be I've a wreck. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt in my face saying, boy, don't you ask me about Darlington. I've got the boss up in that tower saying, you better ask him about Darlington. I'm right in the middle. We go further and further and further. Well, it's time for him to get the car. He's like, how far out are we? I'm like, we're about 30 seconds. I said, the windup's happening right now. He says, now remember, boy, don't you ask me about this. Oh, my God. If you ask me about it, there's going to be more hell over it than a little bit. I'm nervous for you right now. <laughs> I don't want to, oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to piss off Dale Earnhardt. I'm done. I'm done. You know what? Just pack up the car. Just going back to the house. <laughs> I then, here they come, and Dale Earnhardt, yada, 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 yada. Mike Bagley is with it, and I go in for the windup. And as I'm doing the windup, he wags that finger. He says, don't you do it. Don't you do it. And I said, and at that time, I had no idea where I'm going with this question. It's like, how do I get a Darlington question into this, right, without pissing him off or not pissing off my boss? So... <laughs> I don't know how I got there, but I said, obviously, Dale Earnhardt starting whatever spot tonight here at Richmond off of a very eventful weekend at Darlington last weekend. Dale, I can't remember like what I first said, but it was it was something along the lines of, have you been able to put the events of last weekend behind you and are you ready to race tonight? I'm like, that's fair. We addressed it. Now we're asking about yeah. tonight. Well, he paused. And he looked over his sunglasses. And now this is happening in the span of about two seconds. It seemed like two hours. He looks over his sunglasses. He looks over at me. And he gives me that Earnhardt grin. And then he answered the question. And your life can and go I was back like, to normal. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. So we get done with the interview. And I'm like, that's Dale Earnhardt, yada, 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 yada. And I just looked at him and he just grinned and he says, I wasn't going to let you get off easy. And then that is actually how our relationship started. And then I would then come back and, and then he got to, he didn't even know who my name was. I, he know who I was, but that was an example of you have a multiple time cup series champion putting the new guy through a ringer. I've already been through that with these heathens that I'm working with. Now I got to go through it with you. That's not fair. That was a tense moment, man. 
that was Pucker Factor Zulu for a broadcaster right there. Probably, a, probably top five, maybe number one on the Pucker oh, Factor for you. It, it's in it, it's it's in the top three. There is no question. Top. What three. are some other ones? And see, I ain't prepped for all this. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I would say not interview wise, but like play by play wise, like being put into some positions to where you've got cars going all over the place. You can't see a thing. And you're trying to, because when you're doing it, it seems like that it's going forever. I've, I've been talking for 29 hours. Okay. Well, actually it's four seconds, but it seems like that as you're trying to get your thoughts together, yeah. that, and, and trying to explain what's happening, that it seems endless, but it really doesn't. But, but in that moment, that's oh, yeah. a pucker factor when you're a play-by-play guy and you're trying to describe what you're seeing and you can't see nothing. I mean, nothing. Um, and then you're just trying to, you know, you learn, you learn lines to help get you through and bridge you through to your next play-by-play call. I would say it's a lot, uh, a lot like that. I haven't really had any interview moments like that. Uh, thank goodness. No, I'll say Dale that. I'll probably have one tomorrow. Hmm? Dale takes the cake. Totally. And, and for good reason. Absolutely. He was the intimidator on more than many levels. I'll just say that. Yes. Or, or on more than than, than, uh, than one level. I can imagine. Um, so you mentioned TMD. Show goes on at 7 Eastern. You get up around 4 to make sure that the pipes are clear. Run me through your day-to-day usual schedule. So you wake up at four, you do the show from seven to eleven. How about after that? Like, wh- what time you go to bed if you're waking up at four every morning? I try to get in bed by ten o'clock. Um, I have a I have a ritual at night to where we have the local. You know, it's called PHL Seventeen. The eleven o'clock crew on the ABC affiliate does the ten o'clock news over there. Okay. To, to, I guess, go toe-to-toe with the Fox affiliate that has their 10 o'clock news. I see what the headlines are, check the weather, shut it down, and then get up at 4 o'clock. I do – I get up at 4. Well, I, I show prep the night before, but I also show prep again before I go on to the country and miss anything overnight. Um, and then, you know, I, I'll take that time to either do calendars, which if you listen to TMD, um, I actually have been doing some work. You'll be running these next week, but I've got like the next month worth of calendars oh, yeah. already done, uh, which is a segment that we do on TMD. And then I'll go through and I'll see what kind of conversation points there are connected with you guys at 630. We'll go on the air at seven and doing that's like riding a bull. You climb on, you grab a handful of rope, you hang on because you never know where you're going to land, right? Four hours. Do that. Go. Four hours and then release. Well, I'm also the host of NASCAR Live on MRN, uh-huh. which we do that on Tuesday. I'm hosting NASCAR Live Wide Open. We do that on Wednesdays. And then I'm the pre-race host for NASCAR Live Race Day when we're at the racetrack. So through those, I have to prepare for those shows. Uh, the pre-race show, obviously, there's a lot more to it because there's a lot more moving parts and pieces. But doing research on drivers and getting stats and getting stories and you know, coming up with some questions or some thoughts. I don't write out my questions, but I do... Um, I do bullet points of mm-hmm. things um, just to jog my memory to make sure I don't forget. And then depending on normally like my travel schedule for MRN, uh, I used to leave a lot on Thursdays. I'm leaving a lot on Fridays now, but I'm coming back on Monday because I'll stay and I'll do TMD at the track or at a hotel that's near the track. So there are a lot of times like if we're coming up on a stretch where I'm not getting home Monday nights until like six thirty, seven o'clock, like landing. So by the time I get, I get the shuttle to the car, get home. I'm not walking in some Monday nights till eight or nine o'clock. Right. 
So, so when that happens, I walk in and I just like watch a little TV. And sometimes, sometimes I just walk in and go straight to bed. Sometimes I'll stay up a little bit. Now my sleep schedule has been off. Uh, I have sleep apnea, so I have to sleep with a CPAP machine. That's helped lately, but there are times where I was waking up one, two o'clock in the morning. I'm doing laundry. I'm running the vacuum and all this stuff and doing stats for this. I got calendars done for the next two months. I'm just getting all this stuff done. Yeah. It takes a toll, but the normal schedule is up at four and then all that other prep stuff. I have to do run stuff around that. You got to wash your clothes and unpack and repack and all this stuff. And um, I have family that's here that sometimes needs me and all that. So there's always something to do. There is some downtime in the afternoon that I've gotten to the point where I have to carve out some downtime because if not, hey, can you record this? Hey, I need you to do this podcast. Hey, can I go? I need you to do this. And it's like, um, you know, I've got nine things on my to-do list after TMD today. Yeah. So it's like to get all that done and to, um, sorry, I just gave you a little peek under the curtain there. Thank you. Appreciate it. A little anchor peek under the curtain. <laughs> It's like business up here, party yeah. under here. It's like, Keep digging. Um, so um, it all depends and it all varies, but uh, people think that, well, I don't know what else you do. I mean, you, you, you only work four hours a day. There are some days I'll sit down in this chair at four o'clock in the, in the morning. And there are some days I'm not out of this chair until nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, only just to stop to eat or go out and run an errand and come right back. Cause I've got stats to do, or I got you know prep to do and all that stuff. I'm big on show prep. That's one of the things I learned. You don't go into something blind like you can, but about the moment you do is when everybody will know it. So you got to know what you're talking about when you open that microphone and try to be as as prepared as possible for yeah. some of these interviews, except for this one, because I don't know what's coming next year. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's easy to underprepare. You can never overprepare. Exactly. Like when I do booth work, like I'll sit down and I'll do stats. 90% of the stats you that I prepare, I will them. never use. Right. But when I don't do that prep, that's the moment that I'll need that stat. Of course. So it's best to go in and, you know, I learned prep from, uh, from Eli and Allen about how to prepare for broadcast. And that's been invaluable. That has been spectacular to learn. We talk about that free time in the afternoon. I know I'm cutting into it. So I got a few more things and we'll, uh, we'll let you get on your merry way. Uh, you mentioned MRN, you do the pre-race show, you do NASCAR live, which I know Eli gold hosted for a long, long time. I started listening. I've listened to that show every week for like years and I started listening right at the tail end when Eli was hosting. And then all of a sudden Bagman was on. I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, and wide open this year. That's been a great addition too. So now at one point in your career, you went from not hosting a single thing to now you host three shows for, I guess a grand total a week, four, eight, 12, 16, 20. You probably host like 24 hours of radio a week, probably. That's pretty crazy. And, that's any, about. and, and, and we've not even gotten to, to, to play by play yet. Exactly. That, exactly. It's yeah. a lot going on right there. I don't know how you keep it straight. But you know what? I'm blessed and I'm very fortunate to do that. And it's something that I had always dreamed of doing because I would always look at, at you know, Barney and Eli and Alan and Joe be like, oh, my gosh. They don't have to go to the insurance company. They don't have to go to the bank during the week. They just they 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 just do this, and that's so spectacular. Well, when you get to this point, you're like, wow. Now I know why they don't do other things because they don't have time to <laughs> do other no things. time. <laughs> and and it's something that I didn't necessarily start dreaming of, but as I got involved, I started to. I started to wonder what it would be like, and actually wanted to do it. Listen, I'm just a guy in the radio that loves racing. You know, some people say they're not fans, you know, and that work in the media and all that stuff. I am a fan. This has been in my blood 
for over half my life. I've been a fan of this sport since I was going to Dover when I was five years old. I'm 52 now. I'll be 53 in December. Don't look a day over and 25. I've been, I've been, do I know? Don't look a day over 25. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. This, what hasn't turned gray is turning loose right now. <laughs> That's where hats come into play. Yes, but but it 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 is a labor of love, and I don't even view this. There are days where you know this is your job, but it's like the vacation that I just had. You know, as I was out west, I was out in Vegas for for a week. Book ended with the Xfinity Series first run to Portland, and the truck returned to Sonoma after 24 years. And first of all, I hadn't been in Sonoma in 24 years. The last time I was there was the last truck race in '98. Yeah. So last time I've been to Portland was in 2000 when Andy Houston won. So I'm getting, I, I'm, I'm able to go to two new places or two places I haven't been for a while. But one thing is new, one thing is renewed, and then be able to spend time out there. I've been able to see certain parts of the country that I would not have seen if I, if I had not, you know, worked for MRN. Um, there are opportunities that have had come my way because of that. And, and, and I've gotten to meet so many great people on the air, off the air, in the garage, out of the garage, in the broadcast booth, and, and out of the broadcast booth. And I'm blessed to have been able to do all this. And, and when that time comes, which is no time soon, for me to step away, I've got a lot to look back on and say, you know what? That was pretty good right there. That was a good time. I would not have had that opportunity if John McMullen didn't take a chance on me, if Thank Daniel Norwood and SiriusXM would not have taken a chance on me, but been able to maximize that opportunity but then also at the same time, as I'm getting older, I'm also returning that favor and working with younger folk out there that want to do this. And because I was that guy at one time, mm -hmm. I was that young lady out there at one time who wants to be a broadcaster and to take the time with them and work with them and answer their questions and kind of help them out. It's to me, a part of the circle of life, the broadcasting professional life as it were. Paying it forward. That's what you do best. We love it for yep. it. So we've hit on MRN. We've hit on SiriusXM. Those are the two, obviously, big ones that have kind of been the foundation of your professional career. In recent years, you've also done some television work with NBC. How did that come about? Was it literally just a scenario where they wanted to try the radio-style broadcast and you were the man for the job? Yeah, um, and that is all Jeff Benke right there. There used to be a time where radio stayed in its lane and television stayed in its lane, and those lanes did not intersect. And a few years ago, I was approached, uh, well, first of all, they wanted to have uh, a weekly spot on TMD. Mm -hmm. And that and that weekly spot is still in play to where um, an NBC sports talent will come on and visit with Pete and me. And, you know, every single week we have somebody new. Um, they obviously promote what we do on TMD. And then that evolved into, hey, we want to do something different. We like the enthusiasm of the radio call. We want to incorporate that into the TV call. And they asked me to be a part of it. Well, I'd never done TV before. <laughs> well, I did this race back in years ago, the Southwest Tour race on NBC4 in Los Angeles. Now that. <laughs> got to find some that footage of that. That was there. There, You got to dig. It's there. But it's uh, it already. That was a long, long time ago. So they like, they're like, yeah. And, and we wanted you to do this. Are you in? I'm like, yeah. And I don't know what this entails, but I'll sure give it a shot. Well, I show up and, and I, I know a little, at that time, I knew a little TV jargon, right? And so they're like, well, 
you know, we're going to come in, we're going to do the whip, we're doing SOT, and what is this stuff? So <laughs> you don't want to be that guy that's like, um, excuse me, what is SOT? Oh, wait, on tape. Excuse me, what, what, you don't want to be that guy, and no. then so you kind of ask, hey, um, you know, dude, what? What does that mean right there? You don't want to be that guy, but you also want to know what's happening so you don't F up right. the broadcast. Like, it's tough, yeah. Coming back with a triple box. What the hell's a triple box? I don't know what a triple box is. All right, get in your positions. There's a triple box. I'm like, okay, well, there's that white X over here. I'm going to stand on that. And <laughs> then it's like, and then I, I've been able to piece stuff together, but I've also asked questions on the QT about how to do this stuff and how it works. And then it's what's so surreal is being a radio person that now is transitioned into TV and to look in this camera right there and knowing that millions of people are on the, on the other side of that camera. Millions. Don't mess up. <laughs> don't mess it up. Well, last year, was it last? No, it wasn't last year. And that was just the year before where I was doing a standup and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, where do I stand? Where do I look? Because it was one of those complex camera shoot shot things or whatever they're doing well they come to me they rick throws to me to do a stand-up well i'm looking at the wrong camera there's a camera on my perch right there in turn two at indianapolis oh no they wanted me in that one all the way over there in turn one so it's like okay i'm screwing up an nbc telecast right now and then so i started i hear mike wells on my ear said turn around turn around they're like there you are over here. Well, welcome to turn two in and out of it. I remember so you kind of yeah. have to dance your way out of it. You kind of have to, you know, but at the time, at that time, you're horrified because you don't want to be the guy, the radio guy. You know, you don't want to mess the house up. You know, you don't want to, you know, leave anything out of order. You don't want to come here and wreck the thing. Yeah. But we've had a lot of fun, a lot of good times and a lot of memories. That's been great. And that's also allowed an opportunity as well to work with NBC, and which is something I thought I would never do. So uh, I'm very blessed on that front. Not only just to be able to work for the Peacock, but also to be able to meet the people behind the scenes, mm -hmm. meet the men and women that put those pictures up, that puts that sound on the air, but also get to know their personalities, develop friendships, and also experience different things at the same time. Radio style is fun. It's very fun to do. Um, and it's also fun to see TV people do radio. Like I'm sure it was very entertaining for them to watch Absolutely. the radio guy try and yeah. do TV. So when you put all that together, we have a blast, and we hope everybody has a blast watching it at home. Yes, we do. I do, at least. I'm, radio in itself is a very complex discipline. Television in itself is a very complex discipline. To be good at both is extremely hard. So the fact that you're able to kind of seamlessly go in between those two on a limited basis with TV is, is really telling and really cool. Um, all right, do some quick hitters here to wrap up the TMD portion of stuff. Favorite guest that you have ever interviewed on the show? Favorite guest. I'll give you Pete's if you want a hint. Well, who who's his? Pete said Mario Andretti when they, when you guys did that uh, with Joey. That's fair. Um, that see that was a cool moment. Um, well, I mean we I mean we've interviewed Reba McIntyre. We've interviewed Koda, uh, Hodakati. We've interviewed uh, Kelly Ripa. Uh, we've had other people that we've interviewed. What makes of a, a fun guest to me is if the guest plays along, right? Because yeah. you have some that will call in and they'll be, you know, straight by the book, get this done, get it over with. Or you'll get the guest that's, oh, oh what you say? It's like you've just rolled out of the rack. You're probably talking to me from bed because there are some drivers in that garage that that don't know that 10 o'clock comes twice on the clock a day. 
Correct. So for me, the one that I love interviewing like right now is Jeremy Clements because of his personality. He's got a great personality. It's like you'll ask him a question, Jeremy, is uh is Road America Hample? Hell yeah, it is. And it's like, you know, <laughs> and he's got that. I gravitate towards, you know, personalities yeah. that are gregarious like that and have fun. Uh, he's one of my, I have a lot of favorites, but I like the guests most that plays with us or puts their personality on display for others to enjoy as well. I mean, there, there's been a lot of that over the years. I mean, I'm 14 sure. years yeah. worth, but he's one of my most recent favorites just because of his personality. How about a bucket list guest that you haven't had on yet, but you'd like to have on? It could be from the world of motorsports or outside of it. Lewis Hamilton. I, 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 I respect him as a race car driver. I respect him as um, someone that is very vocal about human rights and equal rights and, and equality and diversity. And I've always wanted to see him race in NASCAR. I want to see what he can, if he can, can take over there. That's F1. Hey, over there hey. and bring those talents here and have success here. Project 91. But I would love to talk with him about his experiences. And there's just so much that I would want to talk to. Um, there, let's see, I would say Lewis. Um, there was another one that we talked about the other day that I forgot about. But it's like, I would, I would always love to talk to someone. He's number one on my list, though, right now. I would, lo- I would love to talk to Lewis. I would just love to hear a British voice on the channel. Well, and that would also, you know, cl- class the place up. I love him. I love the British accent. Love yeah, me it. too. It's my it's the best accent that I do. And it's still not that good. Well, you did a good job right there. Thank I'll you. give you props Appreciate for that. It. Uh, memorable phone call or moment on the air. The one that Pete told was that story uh, when uh, somebody called and his wife was in labor, I believe. Emily. In Wisconsin somewhere. Right. Emma, uh, I'm Emily. Sure that was pretty memorable. We Pete had always had this thing to where he had always wanted someone calling in labor on Labor Day. Yes. Well, one day... We got a call and I want to say his name was Paul. I, th- I think Emily's husband's name is Paul. And we get a call and this, this lady is saying, guys, I'm actually in labor and we're on our way to the hospital. We're like, and, and that was a moment like, wait, what did you say? <laughs> so, you know, because when you call TMD, everything's fair game, right? I mean, and, and, and whoever you are, you're, you're fair game. We'll be fair, but there are also things that we need to know. Well, I proceed to interrogate her. Well, Pete thought that my interrogation was going to put her into labor more. She's going to have the kid in, in the car. Kid on the air. So, so I said, okay. I said, because she was, having, she was having contractions. I had her pass the phone to Paul, her husband, who was at the controls. So Paul was wheeling them as, as safely as possible to the hospital. Well, come to find out i mean we talked them right up to the door and then we did the handoff we come to find out they had the baby they sent us the pictures and then they met us at road america that very next year the year after that and it was the most awesome thing i have never talked to a uh, spoken with a listener talked to a listener on the air that was actually in labor you know like moody wants you know somebody to crash well we want we would rather bring life into the world than take a life out of it we want to go for the proactive approach. And we had got that. That was four or five years ago, maybe, that Emily, in the throes of labor, dials 866-PIT-LANE and talks <laughs> to two guys like us uh-huh. on a NASCAR morning show. 
that was awesome. That was very memorable. Yes, I would assume so. Um, how is the temperature in your house right now? You want me to find out? I can I can find out. Well, Alexa, you know, set the AC to seventy one. Yeah, see, I'm um I'm in one of those households that see my um, Alexa's talking now. Do you hear that? See? Alexa, off. Alexa, set the AC to seventy one. Alexa, off. Oh, I, I triggered her over there. Yeah. I, I do this a lot. Like when I say A-L-E-X-A on the air, I get people that say that I've triggered whatever like that. Yeah. It was just so funny the other week, literally. <laughs> just I think it was in commercial break. We were like getting ready for crosstalk and you just said a little like A-L-E-X-A, said 71. We're all like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. I uh, I, 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 And I actually sometimes will hit my mute button because I have it set up to where yeah you know you got your energy savings all that stuff sometimes it gets a little warm or cold depending on what time time of the year i'll hit the mute button one day i i, I hit the mute button i gave the command but i turned the mic back on well then she reconfirms the command and the whole world heard it it's the best. and then it's like hey i'm a techie so this alexa stuff piece of cake it's great and radio. if you notice and if you notice a couple times i've looked at my watch that's because i'm saying stuff to trigger siri s-i-r-i in the watch. Yeah. So we have to be careful with all this stuff. <laughs> Got a lot of people listening right now. Yes. Millions. <laughs> As you said, you looked in that camera. Millions right now. Millions. Um, you don't use any like plates, bolt, like you don't have any China in your house. You use like all paper plates and stuff. Where do you get that from? Yeah. I thought I'm you that, said that I'm on the China. air the other day. No, 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 no. If it's just me, if it's just me. Okay. I'm not going to dust off like the fine China. Listen, Dixie plates, the heavy duty. I get it done. I, 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 why? I, I use China comfort cups. <laughs> Sorry to be a trash digger on your uh, podcast here. All right. But uh, I use these. It's disposable. It's one less thing I have to wash. But it's like, hey, I'm a bachelor, man. I ain't trying to impress anybody. <laughs> I'm just trying to live and survive. And I don't like washing dishes. So... I'll go as disposable. Now, if I have company, you know, and I'm cooking dinner for friends or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when we have ample supplies of China and silverware. But it's not like we're over okay. here. It's not like the Hunger Games. It's not, or um, I just uh, want to make sure. Times. I heard on the show. It's we're like, eating with our things. hands over here. Like if you ever came to visit the marvelous Studio One D, uh -huh. we would we would bring out the the finery for you, of course. Well, I don't know if I deserve that, but thank you for the offer. Uh, well, at least we pull out the Corelware. Sure. <laughs> Maybe sure. not the fine China. Sure. Just bottom of the barrel, scraping it. Uh, you talked about being a bachelor. As Ross Chastain would say, you, you you move more than the clash. You've been to Georgia, Florida, Delaware. Where haven't you been? You checking off all 50 states or what? No, no. But see, here here's the thing, though. Okay, so there are reasons for, for these moves. So I was fine living in Atlanta until Dad died, right? So I had to move back to Delaware to take care of Mom. Well, when mom died, I'm like, well, I got nobody here. I'm like, well, why don't I move over to Maryland, be closer to Sirius XM, you know, get a friend base established there, maybe work out of the office. Well, that didn't work out. Well, we had a bad winter. And my best friend who lives in South Florida said, you know what? Just get out of that mess and all that Howdy. nonsense. Come down here where the weather's great and all that. So I go down there, go to Fort Lauderdale. And there was... Um, I mean, it was great, you know, being there, but it ain't, it ain't as spectacular as you think it is because 
as we in Delaware have seasons of spring, summer, spring, fall, or wait a minute, hang on, winter, spring, summer, fall. Back on track. They have spring break, snowbirds, tourists, and just hell weather-wise, right? <laughs> Those are the seasons down there. Literally, it's so hot, you can't even walk on the beach. Sand burns your feet. Well, then prices are going up. And then I got to the point, like in COVID, I couldn't come back to visit my family. And I went a couple of years without visiting, you know, my, my aunts who live up or live down in Maryland. And it really got to me. And I, I was really jonesing to come back home and I couldn't see them. We always spent Christmas together. Christmas is a big holiday for us. Couldn't spend that together. Couldn't spend Thanksgiving, couldn't spend Easter, couldn't get back home. Right. And that went on for a couple of years. And it was just like, you know what? I just need to go back and be near family. As I get older, I cherish and embrace that family time a lot more. Plus, not to mention, life in Delaware, whole hell of a lot cheaper than South Florida. I'm not going to be honest, or I'm not going to lie about it. I'm going to be totally honest about that. I mean, yeah. it's gone. I'll give you an example. Like my rent, like in the apartment I used to have in Fort Lauderdale, it's gone up $900 in less than a year. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, nope. Uh-uh. Jeez. It's nice and fine here in the state of Delaware. I can't, you know what? They got airplanes to go to South Florida. I'll hop on one and go visit. And you friends. know what they don't have in South Florida? Boardwalk fries, Nick Bowley. They ain't got that in South Florida. Thrasher's fries. Take it easy. Boardwalk sorry, fries sorry. is a brand of fries. That I meant a, on the boardwalk. Excuse me. Right. Thrasher's fries, Core Brother Custard, and Nick Bowley's. And Nicola Pizza, who, by the way, is getting ready to move out on Route 1. You see that? I'm not a big Nick Bowley guy. Like, I've had it twice, and it's just been kind of underwhelming. I'm more of a Grotto's guy. What's your mouth? <laughs> Gra- What's wrong with Grotto? Grotto, Grotto's for me in a pinch. I'm more of a Nick Bowley guy. It could have been a one-off. Just that, let's not put that out the pasture. Okay. But but if, if, you, if, if you ever go to Rehoboth, check it out. And if you're in Ocean City, Maryland, they got Thrasher's Fries down there and Corbett's yes. Custard. But those are some of the staples that we go – to the beach. And also, that's another thing, too. Beaches in South Florida are totally different than beaches where oh, we yeah. are in Delaware Way and Maryland. different. We have the boardwalk. We've got the rides. If you go down to Ocean City, you got Trumpers down there. And you got you, you got all the rides and all the Tilt the World, Scrambler. You got fun things to do. You go down you know, South Florida, you get out of the car, you got sidewalk, sand, water. That's it. No concessions, no eats, no nothing. Yeah. I've, I miss the beaches. I love the beaches here in Delaware and Maryland. Yeah. Love them. Love them. to be getting Corbros. Maybe Nicoboli, probably Grotto's. Uh, Grab-and-go taco in Fenwick Island. Have you ever had that? Never had that. Oh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Long lines, but worth it. I'm going to be getting that July 4th weekend because that's my birthday weekend. Dolly's Popcorn. Got to get some of that, too. Of course. Of course. Mm -hmm. Even though the sign's not there anymore. Out. Just don't. Outrage. Just don't, don't want to work there. you up anymore. Don't go. That, you know what? That, that's another podcast for another time. Yes, it is. We could spend another hour and 46 minutes talking about that. Uh, listen, this has been phenomenal. I'm going to end with one serious question. Uh, I like to ask all the guests that I have on that are super, super accomplished like yourself. You know, you have called Daytona 500s. You have worked on television broadcasts. You host three shows for over 24 hours every single week. What else is there for you to accomplish? What do you want to accomplish in your career, whether that be in radio, in motorsports, out of motorsports? What's left for you? I love what I do, and I have been very blessed to be able to be put in position to do the things that I do. And, you know, there may be a bucket list race I want to call here or maybe a bucket list race there. But for the most part, this is 
this is this is my you know manna my my manna from heaven right here i mean i'm living you know i have to say go live your best life i'm living my best life right now very blessed to be able to work for sirius xm very blessed to be able to work with mrn and everybody that goes along with that and if it if i had to pick one thing left to do it would be once i'm done racing or being a race announcer and being a broadcaster in NASCAR. I would probably entertain, maybe a little beyond my skis, because I think time has passed me by. I would love to teach again. I, I used to be an educator in a, in a corporate environment. Um, I, I would love to be able to, to fulfill that part of what was an early dream that yielded to a broadcasting career that wasn't even on books. Um, I would say that that if there was one thing left to do, just in general, as far as me, mm-hmm. it would be it would be educating. It, w- it would go into teaching of some sort, maybe teaching a college class or or becoming an educator. I've always been fascinated. I I, I personally think that you know, as a society, we overlook one of the most important groups of people there is, and the, and there are, and that is teachers and educators and the role they play in our child's lives and in the community's lives. Those people, in my opinion, are largely overlooked. They're underpaid, they're underappreciated, and they're taken for granted. Mm -hmm. But yet they are tasked with one of the most important jobs that one could ever task one with. And that is to educate your child in your absence, to make sure that child is educated and to make sure that that child is prepared the next step that they take in their lives. And that is beyond school. That role is a very important role. Now, look, I don't have to teach eight-year-olds, right? I don't have to teach high school kids. I like educating people, and I like sharing knowledge, and I like watching people grow and learn and educate them and and become educated. So I would say that if I had the opportunity to uh, get into education after I'm done with broadcasting, that would probably be the last thing that I would want to accomplish before I'm like, you know what? That's it. That's a good program right there. Checked all the boxes. So long. That's that to me would be the one last thing. Yeah. Well, very well said. And uh, not to be cliche, but I feel like I've been going to the school of Mike Bagley and Pete Stoney lately, and I look forward to doing that more. I'm serious about it, though. So what have you learned so far, son? Talk to me. What have you uh, learned? Cashews is a superior nut. That for sure. Um, what else have I learned? How to manage time for a four hour broadcast live radio, because doing this podcast, it's I don't have any restrictions or anything like that um the quality of production that goes into creating a pristine radio show like tmd um before i got hired i i thought that it was kind of just like yeah you push a button whatever you make sure the levels are good did what i did in college but oh no way more than that and to have the knowledge base um like you guys do every, every host that we have on the channel just they know their stuff inside and out but you know, you mentioned, you know, when you were a teenager, you thought you knew it all. I'm guilty of that too, to a certain extent. You know, I, I think and thought that I knew a lot of stuff and all that I needed to know. I talked to drivers, I talked to teams, whatever, but I don't know. You, you all know more than one in one fingernail than I will ever know in my entire life, probably. And that was humbling for me to work around people like you guys that know more are way more experienced 
And I have learned literally like every segment every day from people like you guys, uh, but you specifically, I mean, you know, I'll say it publicly. We've said it privately. You've helped me a lot and I really, really appreciate that. So good luck getting rid of me because I'm going to be running the board at the controls. Hopefully we stay on the air for the next week and a half. It's like, uh, oh, I can't wait for this. Oh, we're going to put you through your paces. You Please do. Just don't give me an Earnhardt situation. I don't know if I can do that. Oh, you know what? I've, I've done that actually to people. I've freaked people out before oh, too, but I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, you know, just, just, I'm just bracing it. You know, just give me a little. Now when you do it this week, flow. I'm going to know that it's a joke. And if it's not, that's oh, going to no. be bad for everyone. It's going to happen when you least expect it. Oh, God. Um, but you know what? It, it's always a learning process. But see, here's the thing. You're open to learning. And, and, and you're, you're open to hearing. Now, it's when you think you know everything and you got somebody that's got more experience than you telling you something and you still want to argue with them. Now, that's when we've got problems. You've not done that. I'm just saying for in general, you know, when you have a when you have a mentor, you have someone that's trying to share knowledge with you. Number one, acknowledge that. Be like, yes. Wait, he's trying to teach me something invaluable. And if, I, and if obviously he's trying to teach me something, he must find value in that because he wouldn't waste his time if he wasn't. Um, and that, that's what is to this very day. There's stuff I learn all the time, but you have to be open to learning. Um, and that's, that's the big, you've come a long way. We have a lot of fun. Um, but, but it's almost like driving, you know, it's, it's almost like watching these drivers race. They make it look so easy. It's harder than what it looks like. And there's a lot of effort. It may sound like, you know, that eight minute bit you just heard on the radio. That's actually been in, you know, it took two hours to pull that off, put the time in to make it sound right. Because as you know, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it right. We're not going to half-ass this thing. If we're going to take the time to do it, we're going to make sure it's done right and not do a disservice to those that are listening to this. Be like, what the hell is that? What? Very well so, said. Speaking of doing it right, we had this on the books for a couple months. I did not think we'd go almost two hours, but here we are. Look at us. And we made it to the checkered flag without putting her in defense. Look yes, at us go. we did. Wow. How was the, uh, how was the victimization? Was it as bad as you thought? Uh, no, it was not. I, I thought that you were going to zing me with a couple things from a few of my colleagues, but I'm glad that, um, either you had not done that diligence or you didn't get the information you were looking for. Well, let's just say this is the first of hopefully many episodes that I'll have you on and maybe we'll get you, we'll get you a, a bit more victimized down the road in the best possible way. Be because as you know, you know, there's good stuff that happened here, but the best stuff is the stuff that can't be on the air that you got to save for the book that you got to wait for people to go toes Correct. up to tell the story. You gotta, you gotta let the period pass and, and let let the bodies cool before you can before you can put the good stuff. In By the, the off air you know? show is the best show we got. The, the off air show is better than the on air yes. show half the time. <laughs> Don't say that because then they'll try to monetize that. No, uh, uh -uh. put that on the no air. No can do. No can do. Well, I appreciate your time so much. It's been a, it's been a thrill to chat with you. And I mean what I said, thank you for all the help. And I know that uh, hopefully this will be the first of many chats that we have down the road, but I'll let you get back to the rest of your day, my friend. You, you know where I am, my friend. Anytime you need me, call me. And uh, thank you for asking me to I'll be see on. You bright and early tomorrow, 6 a.m. I really appreciate it. Well, 6.30. Hang on. Let's not push it. Okay, 6.30. I'll be there early, but I'll see you at 6.30. My man. Appreciate you, Dave. Yeah. And we are back. Woo, two weeks, two incredible parts to one incredible conversation with an awesome dude, Mike Bagley. I cannot tell you, Mike, and I have, how appreciative I am of you for giving me the time. <laughs> Peek behind the curtain. I'm like, Mike, you know, I you know, I like to go long. Let's plan for like an hour. 
and we'll go from there. He's like, cool, no problem. So we get done with our hour, and I go, hey, I want to be conscious of the clock. You know, are we good to keep going? Two words, keep digging. So I kept digging, <laughs> and we dug together, dug deep into his life professionally and personally. It was great to learn a little bit more about Mike because I work with him every day, but I feel like I learned a lot about his background and everything that goes into becoming what he is on the professional side. And I think that a lot of aspiring broadcasters or even just race fans that are listening to this conversation and heard last week's as well, I think can have a better appreciation for the guy that Mike is, the professional that he is, what he does on the radio for four hours Monday through Friday, and then also in the turns on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. So again, Mike, thank you so much for the time. I know I kept you for like almost two hours, but hey, you never know. Maybe we'll have a part two of the chat, which would be part three and or four, five, six, seven, et cetera, et cetera, of Mike on the show. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll get there. Who knows? Let's briefly chit chat about New Hampshire Motor Speedway. I'm actually recording this at a bit of a different time this week, trying to switch up the schedule a little bit to get myself on schedule and to get these episodes and the corresponding videos that go out on social media and YouTube out at a better time during the week. So I'm recording the night of the New Hampshire Motor Speedway race. Christopher Bell is your winner. The 14th different one this year, which leaves just two spots to get into the playoffs with six races to go in the regular season. It is wild looking at the playoff grid. Martin Truex Jr. leads 175 plus laps today at New Hampshire, or this past weekend at New Hampshire, whenever you're listening to this. Wins the first two stages. He has seven stage wins on the year. That's most of anybody in the series. Does not get the win. He is now on the cut line. He is 16th in the playoff standings, even though points-wise, I believe he's in the top five. And you got Ryan Blaney that is not too far off the chopping block either. He's 15th. So six races remain, right? We got a couple road courses in there. We got a super speedway. You got Michigan. You got Pocono. There are still some opportunities and some quote-unquote wild card races where somebody that you're not expecting to win could go out there and claim a victory. I'm talking the likes of Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, Eric Amarola, Corey LaJoy. The list goes on, right? You know, you would think conventional wisdom would suggest Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., they can probably and, and maybe will win a race in the next six. Kevin Harvick, you can throw him in there too. He was very strong at New Hampshire this past weekend. But the fact of the matter is, I have said from day one, we're not going to get to 16 winners. Not going to get to 17. It's not going to happen. There's going to be multiple repeat winners. 16 is a pipe dream. Not happening. I'm sticking to it. But I'm not confident in it anymore because I even expected somebody like Christopher Bell to win, right? I mean, same thing would have happened if Truex or Blaney or Harvick won. We still would have 14 winners. But I guess just seeing that number and then seeing the playoff grid and those drivers highlighted in yellow having a win and then those couple drivers that are barely hanging on above the cut line that are good points-wise, but if you have a winner from below the cut line, that totally switches up everything that has to do with qualifying for the 10-race playoff, which is what you strive for when the green flag drops at Daytona at the beginning of the year, right? So... The fact that we're at this point with six races left and there's two spots to go, that is pretty scary if you're Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, or anybody that has not won a race. Even if you have won a race, 
you got to be not too comfortable at this point. It's not crazy to think that we may get 17, 18, 19 winners at this point. I don't think it's going to happen, but I didn't think we'd have 14 and 20 races, and here we are. So crazier things have happened, and I am Team Chaos, as Jordan Bianchi is as well. So I'm down for some chaos to happen. Also interesting uh, post-race comments between Austin Dillon and Brad Keselowski. They were getting a little spicy towards one another. We're trying to wreck each other under caution. I don't know kind of what precipitated that, but Austin seemed pretty pissed off. Brad was kind of going to try to do his talking with Austin face-to-face or phone-to-phone, text-to-text, whatever, later in the week and not really do it through the media. So we'll see how, if, and when that situation gets resolved. But one thing's for sure. They don't like each other, and they haven't for a while. I'm going to call a slight audible now, and I'm going to get Robin's thoughts on the race. I'm interrupting her love island, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. But you thought Austin Dillon's uh, comments were pretty spicy, right, when he basically was like, I don't talk to him. Yeah, honestly, I found that a little bit disrespectful. I thought that Brad took the higher road. I mean, I understand being upset, but I mean, to not even have a conversation about it, I just think is, a little immature. What about 14 winners? Did you expect this type of parody in the year, Rob? No, I mean, and it's crazy to think about, you know, people like Kevin Harvick potentially not even making it to the playoffs. You're doing great. What about your boy, Marty? A little bummed, but he has a lot of stage wins, so he has that going for him. Yeah, but if he doesn't win in the next six and two two people do, he's not going to make the playoffs. You'd be very sad. I could get over it. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Wonderful cameo from Robin Marks. This is not quite racing with Robin, but it's pretty close. I will let her get back to her Love Island, and I will let you get back to whatever you're doing today, tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, 156, of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available wherever you get your pods. Apple, Google, SoundCloud. If you don't know where to find us, do yourself some research because it's pretty easy by now. And we'll be back next week. Next Monday is when I'm expecting to drop the next episode with another guest from the world of NASCAR. Robin, you want to take us out for the week and laugh your butt off to the house? (laughs) (laughs) That's it, party people. See you later.